Tegan, it's not every day that you can look at the day and pinpoint and say to yourself, my life changed today. And today's one of those days for me. Chris, do describe. What have you done today? My life has changed. Every day from this day forward will be unlike anything I've lived through historically. Every single day, you're saying? Well, let's say 10 days of the year. (laughs) Okay. So we're going from every day to really just a small fraction of the days. Yeah. Well, you did ask me a question that forced me to focus on the facts of my statement (laughs) as opposed to the hyperbole of my statement. So Chris, happy to help. We signed up for TSA PreCheck today. Very nice. It's very nice. By the way, officially, this can be proven empirically, we are the last people in the country to sign up for TSA PreCheck. I, I think, think that it, might be true. Yes. I think it might have come out. It's got to be 20 years old, right? It's probably coming up to that. Yeah. I have to say that I have a kind of maniacal way about me trying to avoid lines in places like airports. It's become like a side hustle for me to try to figure out how to avoid those lines. So TSA PreCheck is definitely a win. It's a bit of a side hustle. I don't know that it's a great revenue stream for you. It's an expense area for you. I don't know about turning that into a revenue opportunity. December 2013. So I'm not that late. I mean, what's 10 years? It's only been 10 years. I'm shocked by that. I guess so. According to the Google, December 2013. So Chris, do you have clear yet? No, that'll be next. You have advocated for clear as part of all of the maniacal research that you've done. So I do think that we will get clear. Although, and I'll save the description of this till we're offline, but let's just say that on some of the information that you gave me, I think I found an error in your analysis. Not a major one at all, but... uh, Well, I'm here to fact check. That would be false. I was right. (laughs) Okay. I'm sure that you are. The other thing that we both can be right on is that we invite all listeners to send questions in for the mailbag. Contact Tegan via Political Wire. Email me by simply replying to any day's newsletter. We'll have a mailbag episode in the next few weeks, so get your questions in. Now let's get on with business. There's a new CNN poll out today, Tegan. I am sure that you have seen it. And CNN states, Biden faces negative job ratings and concerns about his age as he gears up for 2024. Views of Biden's performance in office and on where the country stands are deeply negative in the new poll. His job approval rating stands at just 39% and 58% say that his policies have made economic conditions in the U.S. worse, up eight points from last fall. 70% say things in the country are going badly, a persistent negativity that is held for much of Biden's time in office, and 51% say government should be doing more to solve the nation's problems. But wait, it gets worse. Perceptions of Biden personally are also broadly negative, with 58% saying they have an unfavorable impression of him. A smaller share of the public than ever now says that Biden inspires confidence, only 28% down seven percentage points from March, or that he has the stamina and sharpness to serve effectively as president, 26%, so only 26% think he has the stamina and sharpness to serve effectively as president. And that's down six points from March. And here's a key point. Those declines are driven largely by Democrats and independents. Anyhow, the data goes on, but let's talk about that last point first. Is this a concern that keeps Democrats away in, let's say, November of 2024? Or is it a concern that goes away when Biden is the Democratic nominee against Trump? 
obviously a brutal poll, a brutal write-up for the White House. But first of all, I have one comment about the poll itself, which seems that it's a bit of an outlier. If you look at Biden's disapproval rate, it's about seven or eight points higher than virtually any other poll that's been done over the last couple of weeks. So I take it with a grain of salt. It may be an outlier poll, and it may indicate that overall the poll itself is a little bit more negative on Biden than necessary. But that said, it does have some things that we've seen in other polls. And the point you raise about Democrats is a really interesting one. Democrats do seem to be discerning about their candidate. They want the candidate that can guarantee that they win the White House again. They're not so sure with Joe Biden. And one of the reasons why they're not so sure about Joe Biden is that Donald Trump is most likely going to be the guy running against him. And while Biden beat him in 2020, Democrats are still shell-shocked by what happened in 2016 and the idea that Donald Trump can stitch together a coalition that could eke out another Electoral College victory. That is something that haunts Democrats. But when you go back to the 2020 election in the Democratic primary in 2020, Democrats were looking for that guy who could slay Trump. They had a whole raft of candidates running for the nomination, and they didn't seem to like Joe Biden at first. Joe Biden lost in Iowa. He lost in New Hampshire. And then all of a sudden, he wins in South Carolina. And before you could really even analyze that race, he had wrapped up the nomination. It came really quickly. And I think the same thing is true right now. Democrats, what they want more than anything is someone who can guarantee that they're going to beat Trump. And at this point, they don't have a whole bunch of candidates running. They've got Joe Biden and they've got a couple of fringe candidates who are theoretically running in a Democratic primary. But it's Joe Biden or bust at this point, And that makes Democrats nervous. Can he actually be the one who can slay Trump again? Will Democrats' unease about Biden keep them from the polls? I say absolutely not. I think that Democrats will be just as motivated to beat Donald Trump as they were four years ago. I think that there are other things that are in their favor since then. The abortion issue is going to be a very important issue right now. And I think that when Democrats continue to push the White House line about MAGA extremists, I think that line just works in that Democrats will come out to beat Donald Trump if indeed he is the nominee. What about that statistic, though? 70% say things in the country are going badly, a persistent negativity that is held for much of Biden's time in office. And 51% say government should be doing more to solve the nation's problems. You just pointed out the abortion issue. Let's kind of hold that aside because I agree it's an incredibly motivating factor. We've all seen it. We've seen it in election after election. And yes, it certainly appears that that will hold for 2024 as well. But this idea that nothing is getting done, that government isn't serving the people, that government isn't solving problems, that is completely opposite to how Biden and his team portray the work that they've done, that they have passed the bills, that they have done infrastructure, that they are getting shovels in the ground, that they are doing the things to make America work again. If that is true, then why is that not getting through? Is this a communications problem or are people just saying that because that's the way to voice displeasure or desire that somebody else was running? Like if the whole narrative behind Biden in office is there's no drama, everything's going to be really calm and things are going to get done government is going to work, which again, the infrastructure bill is the best example of it. We've all seen Republicans take credit for the infrastructure bill after having voted against it. 
Why is that not getting through? I think there's two different things going on. First of all, is the country on the right track? You can be the biggest Joe Biden fan in the entire country, and you can say, no, it's not on the right track. Why is it not on the right track? The likely Republican nominee has been indicted four times and charged with 91 crimes and is likely to still win the nomination. That's a country that's not on the right track. It feels like the wrong track. I don't think that the right track, wrong track question really plays the way it did back during the Reagan campaign in 1980. That is a misleading thing. I like people, that analysis. Yeah, people who are happy with Biden think the country is still on the wrong track. People who are unhappy with Joe Biden think the exact same thing. So there is a question, though, about whether or not Biden's accomplishments are known. That's a curious one. Now, some of that takes some time. You know, when you're caught over Labor Day weekend stuck in traffic because there's uncompleted road work on a bridge that you go over and you're stuck in traffic for 25 minutes, you can curse and you can talk about how, why don't we fix these roads? But the reality is, is that billions of dollars were allocated to fix a lot of these roads and bridges. And that money is just now being put to work. So that takes some time before people actually realize what is going on. Does the Biden administration need to do more to talk about that? Absolutely. And will they be traveling around? Absolutely. But keep in mind here as well, and this was a great point made by Benji Sarlin, who is a reporter at Semaphore. Every time you see a poll showing Biden's approval in the 30s, he says, mentally add an asterisk that that's, quote, before Democrats spend $1 billion on a campaign. The Democrats have barely started this campaign. Joe Biden has barely started the presidential campaign, and he's got a message that he will get out there that has actually worked in the special elections that we've seen since the midterm elections. It worked for the most part in the midterm elections as well. And wait till Democrats actually ramp up that campaign and start talking about issues like abortion and prescription drug prices and the extreme Republicans that are trying to block progress. I don't think that these polls are necessarily indicative of Biden's chances yet. Do I think Donald Trump can win the presidency? I absolutely do if he runs. He won it before. He was able to pull out his electoral college win, and something like that could absolutely happen. And is Biden the very best candidate? Obviously not. The one thing I take away from these polls more than anything is that people are concerned about Joe Biden's age. It's something we talked about last week on the podcast. And unfortunately for Joe Biden, that's an issue that's not going to resolve itself over the course of the next 14 months. Joe Biden's only going to get older in 14 months. That will continue to be an issue. But I do think that it is very, very early in this campaign and that these polls are not the best gauge of what is happening out there. I mean, it allows CNN to write up a very dire environment, just as the Wall Street Journal did before that or the New York Times did before that. But keep in mind two things here when looking at any of these polls, particularly these horse race matchups between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, assuming they are the two nominees. One is that polls this early, 14 months before the election, are not very predictive. They don't have a good predictive power going into next year. It's too early. Most people are not paying attention to these races. And then second, national polls, and we will see a lot of them, are basically irrelevant to the presidential race. We know that there's been this geographic sorting. We know that Democrats live in more urban areas. We know what that has done to the presidential election is that it has basically created only eight states that are in play this time. And so the only polls that really matter are the polls in those eight states. None of these national polls matter whatsoever. So I agree with you on nearly all of that. And I want to ask you about the states because you had a 
write-up earlier this week on uh, the ways that Biden could win, and you went through some of those states. Just a couple of points. One, on the communications and that Benji Sarlin argument. Great point, and yes, things change after a billion dollars gets spent. That money begins to get spent this weekend. Um, NFL kicks off, and Biden has ads coming out all weekend, I believe, or at least during the NFL games. So it will be interesting to see how that plays out. At the same time, there was a piece I saw where congressional Democrats are complaining about Biden's communication or the Biden team's communication, and they're not getting the message out, and people aren't understanding everything that has occurred and all that they've been doing. And we talked also previously about CNN and the ownership changes and what happens with editorial and what's going to happen with the bundle and how business model is driving editorial in a way that historically didn't occur, or if it did occur historically, that business model was advertising, and that's changing. And so the editorial mix is changing as well. That being said, getting these messages out there is really difficult when you don't control the channels. It's also going to be incredibly difficult when I'm willing to take the bet right now that given this poll, given the concerns on age, and as you point out, Biden will very, very likely, I'll take this bet as well, very likely he does not get younger in the next 14 months. I see. I just don't <laughs> Come see. On, go out on a limb there, Chris. Right? I, just, I just don't see a path to it. I don't see a path to how he's younger <laughs> in 14 months. You know, as well as I do, that the Republicans' campaign, whoever the Republicans, you'll hear it in all of their debates, or the Fox News campaign, I bet it will start to shift from the Biden crime family. That'll still be there because it's a crime family, so how can you not talk about it? But we'll shift even more to Biden is coherent. And number two, are you ready for President Kamala Harris? And that's what the communications effort is going to be up against. So those are two points on, on what you just said. Number three, one interesting side note about that CNN poll, which, by the way, really is an outlier. I mean, I could see us after this podcast drops feeling like we need to do an emergency pod once new information comes out that somehow the data were skewed. Like, this is a really big jump in a lot of key areas, but whatever, which is what we have right now. Well, your point about Biden versus Trump is accurate. Do you know who the poll did show beating Biden? I think it's 49 to 43. I saw it was Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley, 49, 43. Now, of course, that's a national poll. I think I've heard in the last eight years that the presidential election is not chosen by a national poll. I believe it's chosen by electoral votes. But that was an interesting side point. I bet that Nikki Haley will be talking about that fact. Yeah. You know, if you look at Biden, you look at the challenges that he has. We talked about his age and he's not getting any younger. So the perception of Joe Biden's age is going to be a problem for him. Is it going to be a big problem for him? We'll see what happens. Obviously, if Donald Trump is the nominee, he's just three years behind him. So it would be quite easy, in my view, to portray Donald Trump as the old candidate here as well, particularly as he continues to say downright crazy things as he's being interviewed over the course of the last few days. But age is a big problem. I think Hunter Biden is a problem for Joe Biden. It'll be interesting to see 
how that plays out. We learned this week that Hunter Biden will most likely be indicted on another charge, perhaps a gun charge by the end of this month. And then the third thing that is a problem for Joe Biden in his reelection is this whole idea of a third party. And will a third party drain votes away from his campaign for people who are looking for an alternative to Joe Biden and Donald Trump? Will they actually go for a third party or will they be more pragmatic and vote for the guy who actually has a chance to win? So those, I think, are the three biggest issues with Biden's reelection right now. So let's talk about the third one. Let's talk about a piece that you wrote earlier this week. Biden's biggest threat is a third party candidate. But before we get there, I mentioned earlier, I saw a piece on television from congressional Democrats, very concerned, very worried, uh, very upset about the Biden communication. One of those Democratic congressional members who would seem to be very content talking about Biden's challenges was Democratic Senator Joe Manchin. I kept channeling from him feelings of Susan Collins, Senator Susan Collins' concern about Joe Biden. Manchin was very concerned about Biden's communications and about these messages not getting out. And uh, when asked about, might there be a third party candidate, Manchin said, that'll be for the American people to decide. I think Joe Manchin is most concerned about his political career ending one way or another, and he's trying to find a way out of that predicament. I don't know, Tegan. That's, that's, That's for another day, Chris. I thought he just seemed very concerned about the president of the United States. That was my takeaway. You can be more cynical if you would like. Let's talk about the piece that you wrote on Wednesday. Biden's biggest threat is a third party candidate. Former Obama campaign manager Jim Messina is out with a 22-page slide deck, hyperlink to that slide deck in Political Wire, that argues Democrats should relax about President Biden's weak polling. You just need to calm down, Tegan. <laughs> he notes Donald Trump can absolutely win the presidency again if he's the nominee, but that Biden is in a much stronger position than most people realize. Messina argues that the economy is very strong and that the misery index, the combined measure of unemployment and inflation, is now lower than it was before Reagan, Clinton, and Barack Obama were elected. As always, it's the economy, stupid. Perhaps just as important, however, Messina points out that abortion is a huge motivator to get Democrats to the polls in 2024, and Republicans haven't yet realized how toxic the issue has become for them. So did you agree with what Messina had to say? And do you agree, it sounds like maybe you do, that the third party candidate is the biggest risk for Biden? Yeah, I think Jim Messina makes great points. And I think he's exactly right. And he's a guy who actually knows how to reelect a Democratic president. And in 2011, Barack Obama's polling numbers didn't look all that dissimilar than Joe Biden's. There's a different set of challenges, but he looked pretty vulnerable at that point. And he went on to win in 2012 against Mitt Romney pretty decisively. So I think Messina knows a little bit about these campaigns. And I think he's talking many Democrats off a cliff. He is absolutely right about the economy. And the economy is kind of like this lagging thing where people don't realize quite how strong it is at this point. We learned this week that the Federal Reserve may readjust their forecast for economic growth, doubling it towards the end of the year. As you recall, right around late last year, most economists were forecasting a recession for the end of this year. Now the Fed is forecasting doubling the growth rate to an annualized rate of around five plus percent, which would be remarkable. And as we know from uh, James Carville in the war room, it's the economy, stupid Chris. So that's a big deal. 
On top of that as well, Messina, as you mentioned, mentions abortion. That is a massive motivator for Democrats to get to the polls. But the one thing that had Messina worried, and I completely agree with him, is this idea of a third-party candidacy. And the reason is, when you look to those eight or so states that are swing states, the only states that really matter for the 2024 presidential election, the reason they're swing states is they're going to be close. A third-party candidate could swing one of those states to one candidate or the other. I'll tell you what's not going to happen. The third-party candidate isn't going to win any of them. But the third-party candidate can become a spoiler, can tip one of those states to Joe Biden, can tip one of those states to Donald Trump. I don't think it's entirely clear what happens, but it's a major risk at this point. So which of the potential paths to victory that Messina talked about in his deck did you find most compelling? He outlined a 2022 Senate strategy, which he described as when Arizona, Nevada, Georgia, and Pennsylvania lose Wisconsin and North Carolina, the repeat 2020 strategy, win with the exact same states as 2020, the Sunbelt strategy, win North Carolina, Georgia, Arizona, and Nevada, but lose that blue wall of Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Or, I guess the opposite, the blue wall strategy. Win Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, lose North Carolina, Georgia, Arizona, and Nevada. So as you thought about those various strategies, blue wall versus no blue wall, so kind of the blue wall of the Midwest versus the Sunbelt states, and repeating 2020 versus the 2022 Senate strategy, which was similar to 2020, but had a couple of notable differences. Any of those really resonate with you? Well, I think you go back to the one that Democrats fear the most. Uh, Hillary Clinton lost the 2016 election because the blue wall fell. Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin all went to Donald Trump. Plus, every one of those Sunbelt states went Trump. Exactly. So let's just assume that that's the worst case scenario, that Joe Biden does not win the Sunbelt states, but he could win those three Rust Belt states that make up the blue wall, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. If he were to do so, and if he were to hold the second congressional district in Nebraska, which allocates their electoral votes slightly differently than the rest of the country, Joe Biden would win 270 electoral votes. And uh, if you remember your civics books, that's exactly how much he needs to win the presidency. So that's kind of like the worst case scenario. That's the narrowest win. Joe Biden needs to win those blue wall states. Now, if you recall back in 2020, one of the reasons why Democrats were so high on Joe Biden being the nominee is these blue wall states, or as they're sometimes called the Rust Belt states, those were the ones that people thought that Joe Biden was the strongest in. And sure enough, he won all three of them last time round. And sure enough, he remains quite strong in them. And in some ways, you can see each of those states having become more democratic over the course of the last four years because of Biden's policies and because of some other changes. Each of them has had elections that suggest the Democrats are slightly stronger in each of those states. If that's true, then Joe Biden's path to re-election is actually quite strong. But just as we did four years ago, let's look at the Sunbelt strategy. So let's assume he loses all of those Rust Belt states, which I think would be amazing. And if he loses those states, I don't think he's going to win all the Sunbelt states. But let's see that he wins Nevada, Arizona, Georgia, and North Carolina. 
that would give Joe Biden 275 electoral votes, again, more than he needs to win the presidency. So as another kind of alternative baseline strategy, that would be very interesting to see if he was able to do that. You might argue for such a strategy because you think the states like Arizona and Georgia, that they have suburbs that are quite repelled by Donald Trump. And if he is the nominee, that those suburbs might carry Joe Biden to victory again in those states. Then again, maybe you just go look to the electoral map of four years ago, and Joe Biden, of those states, he won all of the blue wall states. He won three of the four Sunbelt states, and he ended up having 303 electoral votes. It is hard for me to say that that is out of the question right now. In fact, I think it's highly likely that Biden is going to come closer to that if the election were held today, and mainly because of these two forces that we looked at. Remember, we're not looking at national polls. We're looking at the eight or so swing states right now. Of those eight or so swing states, the issues of abortion and the issues of Donald Trump and his legal problems, his criminal problems, are big problems for the Republicans. And so I could easily see a scenario where Democrats approach that 303 electoral votes that the map would be if Joe Biden were to win the same states as last time. And it could even be higher, really, when you look at Donald Trump's impact on some of these suburban states. That said, that would be if the election were held right now. We do not know what's going to happen in 14 months. If you remember the 2008 campaign, the financial crisis caused a meltdown that essentially sunk John McCain's campaign, even though he was not president himself at the time. And so anything could happen over the course of the next 14 months. But if it were held today, as Jim Messina said, I'd rather be Joe Biden than Donald Trump. Do you agree that the third party candidate takes more votes from the Democrat, from Biden than from a Republican? Or do you think it depends on who the third party candidate is and who the Republican candidate is? Yeah, I think it's very hard for anybody to guess that right now. I uh, do too. Yeah, there are still disputes if you go back to the 2000 election where George W. Bush pulled out an electoral college victory and many people blamed Ralph Nader's campaign for sinking Al Gore in Florida. It's not entirely clear what his impact was. There's a lot of analysis that suggests that the Ralph Nader vote was split somewhat equally. You know, you go back to the 1992 campaign, which was the last campaign where you had a truly strong third party candidate. It's not clear who Ross Perot helped or hurt. I think right now it depends entirely on who that candidate is. If it is a classical Reagan Republican who becomes a no-labels nominee. Or even if it's Joe Manchin who becomes a no-labels nominee and Trump is the Republican nominee, I do. I agree. I think if there's a, quote, safe from a Republican or a conservative point of view, safe, old-school, Reagan, conservative-type, third-party candidate, that that becomes someone who registered Republicans feel more comfortable voting for than Trump. And I can see the argument, obviously, why takes votes away from Biden, but I can see the argument why it takes votes away from the Republican nominee if that nominee is Trump. It's very, very hard to say at this point. The one variable that actually might be the big variable is does that no labels candidate support abortion rights or not? That's a binary choice for the most part. And Americans look at that issue as either or. You could easily see if the no labels nominee does not support abortion rights, I think the no labels candidate is going to hurt the Republican candidate much more than the Democrat, because I think abortion rights will become one of the dominant issues in this race, if not the dominant issue 
in addition to, I think, Donald Trump and all of the complications that he presents for our democracy. But I think abortion could be that big issue that ends up deciding this election in that case. The other thought that I have is about those eight swing states. Yes, sir. Now that I have TSA pre-check, I think I might go visit each one of those states, take a flight, and not stand in any lines. It sounds like a good plan. We'll have a trial balloon on the road during this election season. I'll send you a postcard, Tegan. Talk to you later, Chris. 